0: this is steve robbins with the business explained podcast today i'm talking to sir john hargrave author of mind hacking and ceo of content marketing company media shower if you're going to be an amazing business person your mind will be one of your most important tools sir john will teach us how to master our own minds I'm Stephen Robbins, and welcome to my interview with Sir John Hargrave. He's the CEO of Media Shower, the world's premier content marketing company, and he is coming out with a book called Mind Hacking. And it's basically an owner's manual for your mind. It's going to be available in January of 2016 from Simon & Schuster's Gallery Books. Um, and there will be links on the on the. the Transcript page for this episode, where you can go and you can get a pre-order copy, and you can download an ebook and all kinds of great stuff. Uh, welcome, John.
1: Thanks, Sever. Looking forward to
0: getting quick and dirty. So awesome. <laughs> That's what I like. <laughs> so let's jump right in. Um, mind hacking. First of all. I know that there are some in the technical world who know what that phrase means, but could you let us, the rest of us know what is mind hacking? And I'm not thinking Hannibal Lecter here, I hope.
1: <laughs> right. So the idea is that your brain can be reprogrammed. Your brain can be reprogrammed like a computer. And if you're willing to accept this premise, then this book, Mind Hacking, really shows you how giving you specific tips and techniques or hacks in the words of the early programmers, the original programmers. Hacks to actually help you reprogram your mind.
0: Okay, well, so so I'm going to start, and I'm going to say there's things in my mind I would really like to reprogram. (laughs) Where where do I start? How do I like? Well, what's the first thing I should do um, to get started with?
1: Yeah. So the very first step is becoming aware of your mind, and the simple kind of mind game that you can play right now is simply think about your mind. Just think about your mind. And I'm when not you my do head, that, my mind. your mind, your actual mind. And, and okay. when you do that, you realize suddenly that there's there's a mind and then there's something called you that can actually look at your mind. We call it super user mode in the book. It's like a programmer getting into this sort of higher level mode. And so becoming aware of the mind so that we can start to see these negative thoughts, these crazy things we tell ourselves all day is the first step. And the, and the tip, the specific technique that you can use is a game called what was my mind just thinking? So you can play this today for 24 hours. You just ask yourself as many times as possible, what was my mind just thinking? And you try to sort of catch your mind in the habit of thinking. And when you do that, you're pulling yourself up into that super user mode, but you're also starting to get this awareness. So like a computer programmer, you can start to look at that code or the programming that's running in your mind and then really start to tackle it and reprogram it for the better.
0: Interesting. Now, I'm currently taking a negotiation course at Harvard Law School. And mm-hmm. one of the things they talk about, they say, uh, they say when you're going into a stressful negotiation where there's a lot of emotions involved, they say go to the balcony mm-hmm. where you're sort of observing yeah. observing your emotional reaction. Is that the same thing? Or I love it. it.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard that, but that's exactly the same concept. Um, the technical term for this, Saver, is called metacognition. And basically, you're thinking about your thinking. So you're kind of taking this meta view, getting one step above your head. So when I go into a negotiation, instead of this kind of anxiety running, like I'm going to fail, I'm going to get a bad end of this deal, I can start to get on top of that. As you say, go to the balcony, go into super user mode and start to say, wait a minute, mind. (laughs) I don't have to think that. I don't have to believe it. You don't have to believe everything your mind tells you. And that's how you start to get in control and start to reprogram it with more positive thoughts.
0: Interesting. Okay. So you just, you just gave a specific example there that was about if I'm like psyching myself out yeah. as opposed to psyching myself up, if I'm psyching myself out before a negotiation or right. maybe if I'm going to give a presentation and I'm like, oh my God, they're going to hate me or, or whatever. Uh, is that the context where I want to start doing this? So first I want metac- to
1: that's a verb. Uh, Yeah. So that's one uh, area, but basically any area of your life where you're feeling areas of mental pain or friction, Um, that's the kinds, those are the times when you know that there's a negative loop going on, there's negative programming that needs to be looked at and reprogrammed. So it could be things like anxiety, you know, about work, or it could be frustration about your relationships, or it could be depression, uh, about the state of your life. So you're looking for those areas where you have like a persistent negative thought and those are the, the the thoughts that we can kind of debug, like a programmer debugs a computer and then reprogram.
0: So could I do this if there's a person, for example, at work that who I consistently clash with or like, like, I mean, before they even come into my office, I'm already thinking, really, really, they're on their way down the hall now. Ah, yeah, could I, I can even use it for something like that.
1: Yeah, well, we all have those people in our lives and you can't control another person. But when you're coming up with these negative loops, when you're learning to debug those loops, you're looking for the I statement. So the I statement would be like, I can't (laughs) stand this woman (laughs) because she makes me feel like this. Like, so the idea here is like, I get frustrated by her because, and then when you start to see that, you can then start reprogramming that with a more positive loop. And I'll give you a real example, which is, you know, I run this uh, content marketing company, and occasionally, not very often, sometimes we'll have difficult clients with our company. And
0: Imagine I Imagine a consulting company with a difficult <laughs> clients. Who, 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 who would have thought?
1: And I used to get really worked up by this, Steve, or so it used to drive me crazy, and some people I would really, like, obsess over, you know, dealing with them. And now the way I look at these difficult folks is like, they're like my personal trainers. They're like my mind hacking coaches, because what they're doing is testing my mental resilience. And if I can go into those situations with these difficult people, and I can maintain calm and poise and equanimity, then I have become a master. I've truly mastered my own mind. So that's how we can look at these difficult people in a more positive, constructive way.
0: So you're telling me they're your QA department? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah my bug testers
0: so okay so so the first thing you do is you start you become aware of your thoughts you 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 go to the balcony right. you, you medicate um what then because it sounds like that's the preparation for that's not That's not how I actually debug my thinking, but I have to be able to do that in order to debug my thinking?
1: Yeah, so that's the first step, is you've got to become aware of when those things are happening, when that woman at work is driving you crazy. And then next, you've got to do this debugging technique, and we have a number of hacks in the book. One of them is called the five whys, and this uh, comes from manufacturing, where when something goes wrong in your manufacturing plant, you don't just fire the person responsible But you basically ask the question, why, five times. And you try to figure out the root problem or problems that caused that defect in the plant. In the same way, we can ask ourselves why five times and keep going back to the root of why this thought is so persistent or why this thing is such a problem in me. And then at that point, get to that statement, hopefully a one-line statement that explains that negative thought loop that gets triggered in my head. So that debugging is the next step in the process.
0: So let's, let's continue with the difficult, uh, let's do go a difficult with a difficult client example, since presumably you've actually done that one with yourself. So what Mm -hmm. were the five whys? What, like, what were you thinking when the difficult client came in? And, and when you asked the five whys, what were the layers of answers that came up?
1: Yeah. So it's, that's a good question. So often it would be like, Um, I know what I'm talking about. And this woman clearly doesn't. And that really bothers me. So again, you're trying to keep it focused on yourself, not on the like, you can't control the other person, but I can control my reactions to her. So, you know, why does that bother me that I know more than she did? Well, because she's not listening to me. Well, why does that bother me? You keep asking why? And it comes back to something like, you know, loss of control. Like, I don't like to be not in control. I am a control freak. <laughs> That's where it comes down to at the end of the day. And so then once I've got that in a sentence like, I don't like to lose control, I can then start to work on reprogramming that with a more positive loop. And there's lots of tools in the book for how do you construct the most optimized positive loop in the same way the programmer, a good programmer, comes up with the most optimized shortest, most concise line of code. And so for me, it might be something like, it's okay, you know, I I am teaching other people. (laughs) So that might be my positive loop when I deal with this difficult woman. It's like, well, my job really is to help teach her. And if she's not going to learn on any given day, that's okay. Just like any teacher, I'm going to keep coming back and doing it. That's kind of the approach for that reprogramming loop.
0: That's interesting. As I mentioned, I'm doing the negotiation Program right now, and we do role plays. And yeah. we did a role play a couple nights ago, where the person who I was negotiating with was a the manager of a software project. And mm-hmm. it just so happens that earlier in my career, I was a manager of software projects, and <laughs> I have done a and I've done a lot of executive coaching with managers of software projects. So I popped in to my. It is my job to help this manager of software prog- project succeed, mm-hmm. and nailed the negotiation. She basically suggested that I, that I get everything I wanted. Hmm. And I just remember walking away from that going, thinking, wow, now if only I could turn that same mode on when I'm negotiating for something in another context, because clearly I had all the right skills and attitudes and thoughts. Like I'm a teacher. My yeah. job here is not to tell her what I want. My job is to really understand how the project is working and so on and so forth. So I, I, I I like it. That seems very powerful to be able to shift perspectives in terms of of what your approach is. How do you actually get that to stick?
1: That's it. That's it. You just nailed it. I mean, so it was your own mind. You hacked your own mind in that moment to say, "Here's the attitude I'm going to bring to this table," and it worked. And you can do that for any negotiation in any context. You can say. My goal is to make sure this person succeeds and that I also succeed. We can all win at this, basically. That's the attitude we're trying to go in with. And when I deal with difficult clients, you know, a lot of what I do is I want to not only teach them, but help them succeed. That's my job. So if they're being difficult or obstinate and I fight and make it worse, I'm not doing my job. I am responsible for that. But if I work with it in order to get to success, then I'm doing my job. How we make it stick is we repeat it. We repeat it hundreds and thousands of times. And there's all kinds of techniques in the book. One of them is writing it down. There's a ton of research that shows that people who keep food diaries in which they write down everything lose weight more quickly and they keep it off faster than people who don't write it down. So writing down the things that we want to achieve, and that idea of I'm here to get success, when you write it down, you commit it to paper, you can see it, it has tangible realness, and that is more likely to make it stick.
0: Is that That is why I stopped writing down my food diary, because the more I wrote down, the less Oreo ice cream cake I ate, and I didn't like that. <laughs> well, there is that negative side effect, I guess. When, does you have to write it down on paper or can you write it down on an electronic device?
1: I can write it down on anything. I do it usually in a notepad file. I have my list of goals for the year and I write those down every day. I repeat it every day and it is amazing, but I meet those goals about 80, 90% of the time. They're pretty ambitious goals, but that's how I do it. Every single day uh, in
0: the morning, write them down. And that keeps you focused. So you oh you rewrite them every day. You don't just look at them. You
1: you actually do the activity of writing them every day. I actually write them down, type them out into a notepad file, yes.
0: Oh, how do you remember which things to write down? I, I, After I you do it a hundred
1: times, it's not hard to forget.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of <Well>, sticks. <laughs> Well, how many of these do you have going at once? I mean, because I could imagine a dozen places in my life that I'd like to change my thinking, but to try to keep track of all dozen of them every single day seems like a lot of work.
1: Yeah, I try to, st- I try to stick with five. So five, five big ones a year that I'm going after.
0: Could you give it, would you comfortable sharing an example?
1: Well, selling 100,000 copies of the Mind Hacking book when it comes out in bookstores in January 2016. Mm-hmm. So that's a very specific, actionable achievable goal that, uh, that has really kept me focused this year on, you know, doing, doing promotion on great podcasts like yours.
0: Got it. Um, oh, well, thank you. I just, um, (laughs) cool. What, what is the most surprising thing you've learned from developing this? Like as you've worked with with people, I'm sure that you've, you've had people walk through the five whys with you and then end up someplace that's really different from where you thought you were going.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. the The thing that most people are interested in, which surprised me, is this technique called the reality distortion field. And I'll explain it quickly. It comes from Steve Jobs, who uh, his coworkers said he had a reality distortion field. So you would go into a meeting with Jobs, and uh, you would be convinced that it, what whatever he was going to ask you was totally impossible. And by the time you left, you would be <laughs> absolutely convinced that you could do it. And his engineers like, ter- called it the reality distortion field. And these were not like woo-woo weirdos. These were like rational science-based engineers. And they said it was almost like a force of nature. But his belief that he could do something and that his whole team could achieve the impossible was so strong that it literally had the power to affect other people. I believe all of us have within us our own reality distortion field. And what we have to do is practice that that muscle of believing in that goal, that ambition that we have in our head so strongly that we can actually influence other people to believing it too.
0: Now, how do you balance the believing that that strongly with sort of the reality of, of, you know, I I can believe that I can jump off a building and flap and fly, but I f- flap my arms and fly, but if I actually try it, there might be some problems there.
1: Yeah, that's is a really good question that there's this idea of like the manifestation, that all I have to do is mani- like believe it and it's going to manifest, which we're really careful in the book to say there's no real science that backs that up. However, there is a lot of science, a lot of research that says that over time, if you believe strongly in something, you're more likely to actually achieve it. And we show all kinds of research studies where the power of that belief extended over a long period of time does make you much more likely to achieve it. So you're not going to go jump off a building today, but if you were really serious and that was your goal, you could find a new jetpack technology or something that would allow you to do that kind of junk. The idea is like over time with that reality distortion field, with that powerful belief system, that things are more likely to, to happen. And it's kind of common sense when you put it that way.
0: It, well, it is, but at the same time, I'm just thinking, boy, a reality distortion field could be really useful at <laughs> times because yeah. I, I'm in the process of starting a company right now. And you know, one of the things that drives me crazy is that I, most of my training is how to spot the things that could go wrong and fix yeah. them before they do, which sounds great, except that every now and then, I want to just blindly have faith that something will work because when you're going into uncharted territory that there isn't a model for, you need to just get out and experiment and do stuff and have faith in your ability to, to just... To, right. You need to have faith not in your ability that, to make any one thing work, but you need to have faith that you will find the thing that works. And... Okay. I sometimes have trouble with that. And I'm thinking the reality distortion field sounds like exactly the solution if I can turn it on myself.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. There's another technique in the book about um, simulation. And there's a whole chapter where there was, we we quote a study where there was uh, two groups of students and they asked one group to uh, basically visualize getting a good grade in this class at the end of the semester. And the second group, they said, we want you to simulate the process of getting to the good grade. So one group, Group A, just says, I'm getting a good grade, seeing the final grade. The other group says, I'm going to have to go home and study, I gotta make a plan. Somebody's gonna ask me out to a party, I'm gonna have to say no, I've gotta get good sleep the night before, I've gotta take the test, and then I get the good grade. Well, the second group consistently did better up to a full letter grade higher on their final grade than the first group. So the lesson from that is when you mentally simulate these things as you're doing that can go wrong, but then you actually take action in getting through that, you really are more likely to be resilient when those difficulties arise. If you're running simulation after simulation, including how you're going to get over those difficulties, you'll be more able to get over those difficulties when they come up in your life. So it's not necessarily a bad thing.
0: That makes some sense. Now, do you have a partner that you do this with? Like, do you have a a, a buddy who you get together and and identify, here's the things we want to work on, and you ask each other the five whys? Or is this something you just do on your own?
1: I have thousands of partners, the Mind Hacking community. So you can join it too at our website at www.mindhacky.ng, like mindhacking with a .ng. And we have tons of folks who have helped us beta test this program. So we've made the whole book available for free before it's even out in bookstores. And it's really helped us crowdsource the methods and techniques in this book and make them so much better. So I'm, I'm just really grateful to all the members of that community.
0: Fabulous. Was there anything else that you'd like to add? Because we're just about out of time.
1: I would like to say to everyone listening and watching, you need to Appreciate all the work that Stever puts into this. It's hard work putting together a quality podcast and you, all you need to do is tell a few friends, invite them to come listen, to watch, to rate it. That's all you have to do. That's your payment for the day. And then it's a fair trade. Thank you for all the work you put in, Stever. I'm going to thank you on behalf of everyone else.
0: And uh, thank you for coming and sharing the mind hacking information with us. And again, you can go to, you can find John at mindhacking, M-I-N-D-H-A-C-K-I dot N-G, n g uh, online and join the mind hacking community. And you can pre-order the book from Amazon. Then the book is called. Mind hacking. Uh, and you can also find it, uh, an ebook version of it for free on the website. Thank you very much for joining us. I Thanks, Saber. It. Be well. You've been listening to Stever Robbins and Sir John Hargrave. You can find Stever at that's steverrobbins.com. That's steverrobbin S.com. And you can find Sir John Hargrave at mindhacki.ng, which is M I N D H A C K I.ng, which spells hacking. M-I-N-D-H-A-C-K-I dot M-G Thanks for listening.